This week, we welcome Jacob Medina of Jacob Medina Interior Design. Jacob shares his journey from pre-med student to the interior design world. We love how he sets appropriate budget expectations with his clients. And don't miss how Jacob's style quiz helps him launch a project. Let's go. Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? It's a beautiful day. In the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> no, things are, things are looking up. I'm feeling that. <laughs> Is that convincing? Did, did, did you all believe that? We're like the most awkward episode starters. I mean, there's a lot of ideas, things on our heads we have to like wrap around ideas and things happening in our real lives well do you want to go first um yeah i've got a little drama for everyone's mama (laughs) (laughs) um i think like one of the i'll start with the good i think that's a good place to be um i went to a couple local antique like consignment places and you guys I have an obsession with studio pottery it makes they make me so happy like I have way more than I'll ever need way more than I'll ever sell to a client but it makes me really happy to collect pottery um Sean is usually with me and he's like will it make you happy like he's I've trained him he's He's so good I'm like, oh my God, look at this, look at this chip and dip. And I, it's like a studio ceramic chip and dip. I don't, it's it has really like cute. the dip thing attached to the big bowl underneath. It almost looks like, it's you like know, a that, martini like, glass, like a martini coupe glass attached to the chip and dip bowl. Yeah. Or like those slow motion photography where a drop of water goes into a <laughs> oh pond and it splashes up. That's kind of the shape it has. Yeah. Um, so that makes me really happy to like be out in the world, able to go to stores. Everyone's been super respectful when I was in the Didn't stores. Didn't you feel like everybody masks. on Instagram went antiquing this weekend? Yes. I think it's people like, have hit full limit. And it's like, I think it's a real fall thing to do. Yeah, you get out, the air is cooler, you can walk around, it can be outside. Like some of the stores we were in, we I, I after some of them, I was like, actually, I'm going to go stand outside for just a minute because sometimes they get musty in there and a little stanky, which means there's some good shit hidden away. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> like I have to dig in every one and I'm like, okay, I got to go outside for a minute, take a breather. I'll come back round two. Um, but I also picked up these amazing mugs, which is my favorite find, these like studio ceramic mugs five dollars a piece they're this beautiful blue like speckled type of glazing they make me so happy it's remarkable how ten dollars can make me happy i i mean i'm a big fan of 
studio ceramics as well the more um homemade and like amateur the better (laughs) i want weird yeah i want them to be like i want you to be a high school student make this and be able to see the human like touch on him yeah like where the handle's not perfectly curved or like it might might have a little dimple in it somewhere or the glazing Side wasn't note, perfect. Have you seen the great pottery bake off or whatever it's called? Um, I'm pretty sure it's not the great pottery bake off. It's not off, that, but, but it's like the same show, but it's pottery. It's on Netflix, but it's pottery. Yeah, I've seen a couple episodes. It's really cute. Yeah, I like competition person show person, but it's, I, it's fun I, to like learn about their craft and approaches and stuff. I would watch it. Um, I like pottery in general. I mean, I'm not going to get all like Demi Moore and Ghost out here, but I do enjoy pottery. Um, so that's my sizzle. Like, makes me happy. I can spend not that much money on things that I can display on open shelves, and then when I get over them, I can sell them to clients as part of like little moments. Um, and I have fun hunting for it. So it it helps me like refill my creative bucket to like be surrounded by cool things and imagine where they would go and what I would do with them. Yeah. My, um, my drama, if you've been listening to a few episodes, you might've caught that I've been going back and forth with a client on like, we had the phone, we did our discovery call phone chat. I did an in-person consult beautiful home. Love it. I think they've got a fantastic start. They brought me in needing some help with furnishing. Um, And even though I did the in-person consult, we were kind of like landed, like I created everything for them after talking through all the ideas based on like an e-design model. And then I sent the proposal, she signed the contract, but she never paid the invoice. And I thought that's weird. Well, anyway, next edition of this story is Y'all, we had another phone call to talk about it. I would have gone in person, but they're traveling, so whatever. But legit, I think she lost her mind. So (laughs) it's just, the short of it is she wants me to provide more service than what eDesign has to offer, but she wants to pay an eDesign price tag. And... She also wants things that don't fall into like my tiers of like my value-based pricing model. Mm -hmm. And it really like, she like, it obviously triggered her that I wasn't willing to change my business model to fit what she wanted it to be. Like your expectations were not aligned. Right. And then she was upset that I wasn't going to like change what I do for her. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not inflexible, even though that's kind of the nasty gram email that she sent to me is like, and she, this is how, you know, she kind of was like off unhinged a little because this, she used the trigger. I just think it's funny that that right Mm -hmm. there is someone who's triggered. Nobody writes that in a professional, well thought out email. I just think it's funny that. Yeah. That's that's something like she was like annoyed. Right. She's probably used to getting her way a lot, which, okay, like, that's fine. But the joy of me running my own business is I get to decide how I run it, not my client. Right. So if I sound unapologetic, I kind of am. 
I mean, I'm sorry that it's not the right fit for her, but. And there's just like a fine line between having firm boundaries and being inflexible. It's like right. a perspective. It's like, what side of the boundary are you on? Like, yeah, she's on, on the side, outside of the line. Boundary. Yeah. And it's like that fence around your yard is inflexible and for me it's a boundary to keep i really dislike that i can't walk through your yard anymore that is really inflexible of you walking this morning yeah (laughs) so (laughs) that's just like what side of the grass you're on right like i don't take it personally by any means because for she's i think i was telling you before she's like the only she's the only person who's ever written or said something like this about any of my process or what I do out of the clients that I work with. No, everyone else has appreciated, like, I like that there's clarity in what you do and how it works and what it costs and what's involved. Like, I, I like knowing what I'm getting into. And I like that if you move into my higher tiered services, that means most of those clients, actually, those clients who move into that understand that there's ambiguity in the design process and that things will take time and they're willing to invest in revisions and adjustments and going through the creative process because they want to get it right and they know that they can pay to do that. They're committed to your support as you both navigate the unknown. <laughs> right. Like no you have a really creative happen. idea, but we don't exactly know how much it's going to cost. Let's spend a little time exploring it. We're willing to spend some money on exploring that idea. And then if it doesn't work out, it's okay because the potential is greater on the other side of it and they're willing to invest. She was not, as much as she has said to me several times, I'm, I'm willing to pay. She's willing to pay something. It's just not what it's worth. It's like, I'm willing to pay you $80 for this $100 sweater. And it's like, okay, but ma'am, the sweater's not on sale. Someone else will buy the sweater. We don't have to sell it to you just because you're here saying you want it. Like, that's the price. So put something back. And it comes down to if you want full service, you pay for full service. And that was the main reason I set up the value-based pricing model the way it was. If I'm going to be doing shipping, receiving, procurement, warehousing, installation days, white glove delivery, the whole nine, I don't piecemeal that. We're going to do all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And not every designer does it that way. And I get that. Well, and you set up your boundaries for a reason and your business model for a reason. And she can ask all the questions she wants, but it's not up to anybody else to help you <laughs> change. Like, right. That's weird. Yeah. I think she's obviously triggered by not being told no and being told that it's not the right fit and that I don't offer what she's looking for. And that if she wants that, she has to pay a lot more and she doesn't feel like she, she wants that. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean that. No one's forcing you to buy it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not a, it's, we're not a one size fits all industry. She will, I, I think based on her, my phone call with her and then her follow-up email to me that she was not happy. I will definitely respond to her. I'm happy to have her feedback. It helps me understand the perspective of someone who is not my ideal client. 
I'm not heartbroken. I am happy that she can go and find someone who will make her home dreams come true. I don't want, I don't wish any ill will on anybody for that. I know that we're not all meant to be everybody's cup of tea. This is very true. Sometimes you're someone's shot of whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about um, you? Any drama? Speaking of, speaking of not being everyone's cup of tea, I... <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> kind of drama. I didn't really mean to do this, but... So the Instagram and kind of like our circles have been a Twitter about the new Netflix show, Dream Home Makeover. Yeah. You haven't seen, watched it yet, right? I don't watch home shows. I haven't watched home shows for like six years. Yeah. I don't, I just don't as a habit. It's, I feel like it's more of a reality show about a design studio than it is about a makeover. Okay. But, like um, I didn't even watch Nate and Jeremiah and I love them. Like I really, I really would. Watch I, it. And I don't watch that either. Cause I just, I don't, I, I have a hard time disconnecting the difference between are they trying to portray design or are they trying to do something entertaining? And I think that for TV, that blend is really hard, but in real oh. life, it, it, it confuses potential clients. So I just choose not to participate in it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't watch, I rarely watch them either. I mean, I don't mean that as shade. If you like watching them, you like watching them. <laughs> like. No, I, I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of rea- reality TV at all because it just annoys me. But I was curious, and they're not entertainers, so I feel like that was a little bit of a different lens, too. Yeah. They're not trying to be on there. Like, you can tell they're kind of uncomfortable in their role, which I appreciate. I, but I would be if you put me on TV. But Nate and Jeremiah are entertainers. Like, I feel like oh, they're... Yeah they're like entertainers first almost yeah um anyway they i watched the show and it's definitely very um one style which studio well, it's their is. style it's their style yeah and i appreciate and i like really respect everything that they've done to build their business like it's crazy and amazing oh it's um in such a short period of time to have made what they have is i mean it's 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 remarkable remarkable from a business perspective for sure so there's just been a lot of kind of in the last 24 hours 48 hours i would say there's been a lot of designers um talking about it and um, Carmion Hamilton, she had a really great perspective. It's in her highlights on her Instagram stories, if you mm-hmm. want to um, dig into it. But I think the whole thing, and then so I kind of like went into it last night and woke up to a ton of DMs. But my perspective on the whole thing is I respect them as a business. I just don't love the aesthetic. I don't. I don't love that everyone assumes that this kind of, I don't know, what's the name, what's the right word, like neutral 
light, airy, and bright is like the only way to type do it. Of, yeah, like, and that makes a home beautiful. And I mean, like, I have plenty being... of white, bright spaces that I designed for clients. I have. And they're too. great for them, and they like them. Are they everything I'd like to be doing? Pro- probably no. And my whole point isn't to like detract from white, light, airy spaces. It's that I just want there to be more representation in the people designing them. I mean, there is like a connection with color and people of color, I feel, but um, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. How, like white narrative is white walls about white people it's like white white people design (laughs) yeah it kind of is but but... that goes to what carmian was talking about how it's like well the audience of what they do is like affluent white people and there Mm -hmm. aren't a lot of white like there's they're designing to their clientele right but the i guess i get a lot of feedback from people on instagram that are like i didn't even know I didn't know it was an option to paint my room a color. Like people don't feel like they have the permission because they don't see it. And it's not like in the zeitgeist and the culture and, or they're nervous that some their friends are going to walk in their house and think they don't know what they're doing. Like totally like, Oh my God, why would you do that? Like, that's crazy. That's not on Pinterest. (laughs) I I don't know. I get the idea that you want to create something that you, you create spaces that you feel like everyone is going to like. And, and I'm sure families who do these, who, who are in these homes and have these light, bright, neutral spaces, enjoy it. Totally. And, but they might also enjoy color too. Right. Or they didn't know a lot of people like you probably have seen people are really, um, insecure about their choices and decisions when it comes to design totally like we're very bold and willing to take risks because we can think through it and we have references and we research but when you don't know what you're doing you're like are my friend are my friends like i don't think they think this um but are they gonna like this consciously but are my friends gonna come in and think i'm crazy because i just painted my bedroom black they might And who cares? And do you love it? Like my whole thing (laughs) is, do you love it? And do you even know what you love? Like, yeah. Do you know what you like? Like, do you, or were you told this is what you should like because this is what the ideal house looks like? I've, if, if uh, it's so hard because I get that it's, we're not just talking about the design philosophy, right? We're also talking about the way that people consume design content and then how trends are Representation. Created. Like, we could just as easily, like, we're not, ju- it's not just the trend based of it. It's how do we make people feel like it's, this is the solution for them and it's what they're sold. It's what's available. It's what's easily accessible everywhere they go, everywhere they look, they're seeing this one aesthetic and this one perspective. And if you take, Studio Omigi out of it, it's still there because there are so many other designers doing it. Yeah, it's not if about could, Studio Omigi at all. No, and if I could count the designers in these Facebook groups, every if I got $5 every time someone posted about 
a room of hers or a piece of furniture of hers, y'all, I could quit the design business. I could stop working <laughs> and just live off the royalties of everybody always asking about what she's doing. So it's obviously very sought after. I think what you're saying, Rebecca, is that we should we challenge that a little bit? Like, what do other other designs look like? Colorful designs, interesting, weird, collected. Yes, and... I don't know, just like pushing boundaries and thinking about it a little bit more. Um, and just not being afraid. Like, okay, so my sizzle, all that to say, my sizzle is this book that I just got. I have been following, I don't know if you follow Kate Aaron's Wit and Delight. She's kind of more of a lifestyle blog, but she bought this home that was more of a, um, I don't know when it was built, but a very traditional home, but every room was painted a really really bright color like bright yellow bright coral and it was kind of just like crazy and she went okay. she's been going through this journey of like her first instinct was to paint everything white and then she pushed pause and decided to like embrace it for a while and um so she's kind of been going through this and it's like triggering for people like she's a big account and people are like oh my god I can't believe you're keeping that yellow room <laughs> and so she's kind of going through this like exploration and kind of justifying her choices but it's it's so crazy to me but anyway I just got it's this crazy book. that she has to do that or feels yeah. the need to show people like it's okay. okay like if it's okay to and you can do it well like it can still be beautiful and not tacky um so she recommended this book that i just got it's called who's afraid of pink orange and green and it could not have arrived at a better time so that's my sizzle i like it i just did the look inside as you were sharing it and like looking in you know where they show you inside the cover digitally Mm -hmm. And one of the first, one of the first rooms has this like cobalt Eve Klein blue. And so for listeners, if you're not, if you don't know the color reference that I'm making to Eve Klein, you can look up his works there. I'm not going to lie. I'm, this isn't embarrassing for me at all because I have no shame um, in life at all. But <laughs> <laughs> I cried. I wept joyful tears the first time I saw an Eve Klein painting in person it was it's it's just like how color can bring us so much happiness and joy and surprise and delight like it's really hard to describe that moment of like giddiness that over overcame me particularly with that color I'm constantly drawn to that blue it's mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. And so that made me happy looking inside the cover of this book. So I'm probably influenced into adding this to my coffee table collection just influenced. for the fact that they look really happy. Everything feels happy and exciting. Yes. And I need that so, more because it's 2020 and the world is shit. We like, who cares? Paint your goddamn room. Like repaint it white paint. next year. Like, yes. Life's too short, but Indeed. anyway, so my sizzle, my sizzle was kind of that too. Cause it's like, you know, it's kind of bumming me out that like, 
I don't know that is somehow political it's not at all political in like the government realm but just like polarizing I guess that I I've had a few okay let me say that my fizzle is I've had a few people that have really like kind of clapped for this and um shared what I'm saying and then shared a few accounts that they've included me in who um really work with color and mm-hmm. there's only five people like <laughs> it's not like enough people no it's weird there's so many home accounts and, and why don't so we know people. about all of them right and i'm i'm constantly in that discovery pathway um it's almost like that like i mean look at i mean let's be real look at like kelly worsler arguably based on trends what she does is really different and experimental and weird super avant-garde yeah right and off-putting and we've created this picture like oh only really wealthy eccentric artistic people could want to or will be able to live like that and i don't believe that i don't buy into that it's not just for rich people and that's just like, like this book has like a bunch of different styles. Um, it's all like color related, but goes from like super modern to traditional. And I think to me, it's just like opening your feed. I'm just going to say your Instagram feed and your mind to different styles and people to just influence your thinking. Like you're not going to copy it. I'm not going to do this like black and white striped weird backsplash or whatever it is but it's interesting and like I, you can try to figure out what's drawing your eye to it and i don't know the choices a designer made can influence you in small ways so yeah anyway I think that's the exciting part of design is let's all take our influence from a lot of places if we can't travel right now then yeah, where Instagram are you going to get your next vacation. big idea? Yeah, like I think where a lot of us are turning our our feeds and our Pinterest feeds and everything is all coming from the same algorithm that's being controlled out away from us. So let's try to approach that differently and find some new influences. And yeah, anyway, so I feel kind of invigorated actually from this experience this last couple days I was really kind of like not being on Instagram very much I think I just kind of got burnt out on it (laughs) this weekend I must have posted 100 stories I was like the most annoying person no that doesn't make you annoying it's just like you're feeling you're feeling excited again and energized and that's okay I I had a lot to to talk about yeah so like we all need to take those breathers. I think um, we, we're all in control of the way we run things. Give ourselves permission to try something different, learn different, walk away from something that we kind of don't feel is the best thing for us. Well, if I don't have a lot to say, I'm just not going to say it. So, I mean, that's nice of you. <laughs> I'm respectful if, that way. If I don't have, I have something nice... If I don't have something nice to say, someone's going to hear about it. Um, (laughs) Okay, Kevin. (laughs) Uh, Should we talk about today's guest? 
We probably should. Our guest this week is Jacob Medina of Jacob Medina Interior Design. Jacob started his design company in 2016 after realizing he was meant to be on a creative path. Jacob's style blends contemporary elements across different eras. He incorporates his clients' personality and needs to design spaces that feel timeless and unique. And Jacob has been featured in the Houston Chronicle and mentioned in Architectural Digest magazine. So welcome, Jacob. Welcome. Hi, how are you guys today? Splendid. So good. Splendid <laughs> is a good way to be. I feel like uh, I like that. I mean, yeah. we're just going to put any adjectives we can on anything at this point. Surviving. That's how sometimes I feel. This week has been just as long as I'm surviving the week that I'm doing 100% better than I have been. So that's fine. I'll take Splendid. That is, that is true. Splendid. Tremendous. <laughs> so... Um, we're so happy to have you. I've heard you a little bit. I've heard you on Michelle Bennett's podcast a couple times. Um, I got to meet her on Instagram and was on her podcast before, which she's amazing. And I think you are our first gentleman guest. Really? Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. That, I, I feel honored to be the first gentleman designer that showed up on your podcast. I know, poor Sean. He's been just surrounded by chicks all the time. <laughs> but that's, I don't know what it is. I do feel like that's our, that our industry. I felt like it was a lot of male designers. If you go back, a jet, like if you go back through the, like the 80s and earlier, there were a lot of male designers. Yes. And then it's really shifted that mm -hmm. storyline. Like recently, like it, it became very like women dominated as an industry and or at least that's what i feel like we see a lot online now no I that feel may like not it, be the case but i feel like it, there definitely has been a shift in the past 10 years of more women i mean it's like i'm friends with a lot of designers here in houston and i think that i'm only friends with maybe three guys and probably like you know 40 women um but right. i mean i don't know i don't I don't really know why that is. It's predominantly, you know, this industry is predominantly girls and gays. <laughs> so. Yes. <laughs> we got to yeah. keep it, you know, we got to keep it how it is. I don't know why. I think it's fun that way. Yeah. So we like to say that like our podcast is your big sister and your GBF coming together to kind of tell you what to do in your business. <laughs> I will be the other GBF for today to help give you all the best advice that I can. Yeah. Ooh, we just keep it. it. Just so you know, like Sean and I met early this year at market and we were just talking constantly every day. So like, let's just record this because we're constantly we're learning. exploring, learning from each other, asking opinions, getting ideas and just helping each other like up level. So that's really kind of what this is. I mean, I agree. I'm, I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but I think that as us being younger designers, we have a different perspective than a designer who's been in the industry for 30 years, who has, you know, who is quote unquote an expert and can give right. the best advice, right? right? Because I think that we remember what it was like to be that newbie designer, you know, a couple of years ago and the struggles that we had versus someone who's been in the industry for 30 years knows the best advice, but probably doesn't remember those struggles as well because they've been established right. for just so yeah. Wow. nostalgia kicks in and you're just like the first couple years were hard and you're like no no 
heart doesn't even begin to describe some of the things you go through. And we're really yeah. technology, like we really lean into technology and marketing um, is different, way different now than it was 15 years ago. So it's really exploring all those different ways and bringing our, we both are second career designers. So um, we bring baggage, <laughs> tools, <laughs> tools. Yeah, I mean, this, I don't have any baggage, but this was not my, like my degree is not in interior design. My degree is in biology like I was pre-med I was planning to go to med school I was working at a hospital oh my gosh med school yeah I worked at I worked in ER for six years through college and then after college you know taking the MCAT getting everything ready to go to med school decided med school was not for me quit was bartending part-time a friend asked me to decorate their house um, and so that's kind of how my design business blossomed. Like it was very just, someone said, Hey, can you decorate my house? And I said, sure. I fell in love with it immediately and, and started my business that year in 2016. And then for the next two years, I kind of do part-time working to build a business, part-time working to pay bills. And then for about two and a half years, I've been full-time designing. How had you always been like, you know, a um design like minded yeah. creatively inclined. yeah like doing yeah, your own no. homes and yeah i love i love decorating but in in my house growing up decorating was not like a job that we were preached like could be a career right that was like a yeah. hobby my yeah. parents taught like you know you go to school to be a lawyer a doctor an engineer like that that was it those were your We've options about that a lot. yeah <laughs> like that's all you had so i always saw it as like a hobby something that i loved you know, I love to decorate my own apartments and things. So my friend liked my style. That's how she knew to ask me. Um, but yeah, so I was always creatively inclined. I always loved it, but I never, ever considered it to be a career until I took that first job. And you're like, shit, people will pay me yeah, to do it. this? Like- and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I love this. Um, let's Let's try. Let's figure out what I need to do to build a business out of this. So for like a year, I spent um, a lot of time learning Photoshop. I used home designer or chief architect. So I spent a lot of time like learning that so I could figure out how to do um, all the technical drawings, the 2D plans, elevations that I needed. Just really kind of learning all the technical skills. That way when I had clients who were paying and you know, I was actually being a real designer, not just decorating for a friend, you kind of fumbling through the process and figuring it out. Um, I was ready to be the best designer that I could at that time. So all of your design skills are self-taught for the most part. Yep. Via YouTube or friends advice, but yeah, everything is just self-taught. That's amazing. I mean, it takes a huge time investment to do that. And it's good that you're doing it because you have to have something to fall back on when like the technical side at least helps boost up that like mm. professionalism and like I really got my shit together even if sometimes you're behind the scenes like oh crap like we're kind of di- like we make up some of our job on the fly if we haven't done things before or we haven't yeah. seen something executed where you're just like well I know it can be done I don't know how yet we're gonna figure it out yeah I mean, a lot of that was finding, so like I, I, for the things that I couldn't do, I was able to find people that I could. 
So like I have some contract employees who if I, if there's something out of my realm for technical drawings or renderings, I will hire, I'll outsource that. So I know my strengths and I try to do as much as I can because I have taught myself those skills. But if I can't do something, and if I need someone who has better skills than I do, outsource. And I firmly believe in that because you can give the client a better service, um, you know, higher end drawings or whatever. And, right. you know, and then just pay someone else to do it. And that frees up your time or my time, I guess, to do what I'm best at, which is being the creative genius behind my brain. Yes. Totally. Yeah, we talk a lot about trying to work in our zones of genius more. And some of that is like letting go control. (laughs) Some of us have control issues. I think a lot of Um, issues. I don't have a problem admitting that. Like that's not, (laughs) I definitely do. But if I can I'm sure I do. I just pretend that I like. Pretend I'm worse. Sean is so much worse than Rebecca at that. So we just. (laughs) I rebranded my control issues into preferences or something. Um, Yeah. I I just don't want. There's things I just don't want to do anymore. Like I don't want to be. I I, I can. I'll handle elevations. I learned CAD in school and I'll still. I don't have a problem working that stuff up for drawings as far as if a client has the architect and a drafts person involved, they don't have to pay to have the interior elevations done with them because I can work really quickly on that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that if their architect is already doing it, I'm going to sign up to do them again. Like, no, cool. Let you do it. Like, fine. I don't need to yeah. do that work anymore. If you can find an expert to make it go faster or more efficiently or whatever, like I don't have fun creating renderings and drawings like it's just part of the job yeah jacob do you have so you have no staff on staff no on staff staff i I have no staff on stuff so i did before so after the pandemic i did um so i had a full-time operations manager so he was kind of taking so he was just doing all the ordering um phone calls just really making sure that the business was moving forward and getting people in the door, right? Feeling those pipelines, helping to project manage, things like that. And then I had um, contract design assistant and then a contract technical designer. Um, Right now, because I am not at the capacity that I was before COVID, I'm doing everything myself, but I'm starting to get enough business where I'm about to bring um, those people back on because I really do enjoy having a staff of two or three. I feel that things work a little bit smoother when you have a couple mm-hmm. of people who can help you know work in their zone of geniuses i can have someone who's fielding calls doing all the ordering following up on that project that side of project management because i feel like that Sounds is amazing. its own little that that needs its own person and then have yeah. someone who can help yeah. do the designing help do the running around the errands and then i can focus on marketing so that's usually what i do you know marketing social media and then doing all of the main design creative that's awesome i I mean i think that's if you know that's like where you're meant to be offload all that other stuff that keeps you up late or doesn't let you sleep at all or wakes you up so you can stick to the the part you really love and i know a lot of other designers who really love the project management piece and they've realized they love that so much more and they come in and they just kind of sprinkle in the creative ideas. They let, Mm -hmm. you know, their staff designers fill in the other components that are missing. And then they just like 
all the contact with the client during the process. Like they'd rather stay at the face of everything. Mm -hmm. So in your sense where you're saying like, you like to be like marketing and social media, that's still you putting your voice out there and being at the front of it. And if you're freed up to do that. Yeah. And that's really hard to give up when your name is on the (laughs) sign outside. Like, I don't think I could give up the creative control, but I could definitely give up the project management side of it. Cause I feel like in Houston, there is a pretty strong like style of it's on the more traditional side, which I tend to be more on the contemporary side. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Houston style is not even as contemporary as I would like it to be, or at least there's not enough of it yet. It's kind of coming there. So a lot of the designers that I've met with who want junior designer or design assistant positions, when I look at their portfolio, it tends to be very far away from the style that I like to be within that aesthetic. And so I find it really tough to, to give up that control when I don't trust them to be able to make selections that represent the style that I want to be in. Mm-hmm. So until I find that designer, until I find that designer, um, I will be doing all the creative stuff. But who yeah. knows, like maybe in a year or two, I'll find the perfect fit and then I'll have my junior designer who can really pick and choose the things that I want. Yeah, and then you can just approve, approve, no, no. That's what I, <laughs> I was like. Ew, gross, <laughs> That's my... nasty, gross. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I love... yeah, I would love that. That sounds great. Yeah, I want the Miranda Priestley, like, we're always talking yeah. about that. <laughs> I want someone to follow me around with a clipboard. I said this last week. Just, this is would, important I, for her. There, there you go. That would be pretty um, amazing. But I feel like whenever you guys go to client meetings, do y'all take an assistant with you? No. 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 Yeah, I don't either. I usually take just take my little, you know, iPad and I take notes as I yeah, go. I have my phone. Like, I have my my notebook. I have a virtual assistant that I recently started working with, but at this point, she doesn't even do anything client facing like mm-hmm. calls or like she sets up templated work or emails but they still come from me like there's no anything coming from her um and i don't think that's a control issue i'd be happy to have some communication happening i mean that's training a little me. bit like it just takes time to like yeah you don't want to delegate no, that stuff right there. away like no way let me no, review this think- before you do it then once i know you've got the feel and you're gonna like not mess it up then 100% you could take stuff off my plate that's the goal so I feel like after them being there of like a good six months you have they have a good understanding of really what you're doing in the business and what their role is at least that's in my experience Mm -hmm. and then once they're there for about a year that's when they really can like be completely on their own and trust them yeah which is, yeah, right about the time. One year is usually right around the time you see, like, attrition. Like, people are like, oh, and now someone else wants to hire me and pay me more. And, yeah. So I'm excited for the next couple of years so I can pick someone to stay for two or three years and really get the benefits of having a bigger staff. Especially because yeah. if they've been there long enough, then if they do move on, hopefully they can train that next person and you're not having to redo that. Like, my God. they can do that. 100%. Yeah. I, that's, but I do feel like our industry in, in, you know, going, thinking back to my internship, thinking back to other designers and talking to people, it's really, I mean, high turnover is just part of our industry that 
creatives want other great creatives. So when you have those really talented people, they're A, in in high demand, but also really upwardly motivated. So they're not mm-hmm. likely to want to just like sit still and be stagnant. They're, they want to experiment. They want to see different things. They want to work with different people. I think what's interesting- so you solo. Like yeah, or they, they go on their train own. Them to do their own. I did right. ask um, my last employee to have a one-year non-compete. Like, I don't know if that's industry standard, but it's like I'm putting a lot of time and effort into training, right? And a lot of financial, you know, Resources. the first couple of weeks to a month that they're working there, you're putting in a lot of your own. You know, you're. I, I wasn't billing them to clients because they were still in training and learning. Right. So. I asked them for a one-year non-compete, and I don't know if anyone else does that, but I just wanted to be sure that they were committed to staying with the company for the length right. of time that I would at least find um, beneficial for both parties. But like you said, there are a lot of people who just want to come and work for you for a few months, learn what they can, and then go off and start their own, you know, business, which I, you know, we're all, we all started our own business, so I think that that's great to do, but I don't feel like it's appropriate to you abuse another designer's experience in that way yeah yeah other people are really setting off the intention to get hired to quit in three months but i find that you know like you said that turnover does happen totally yeah it does i mean a lot of our audience are designers who are in either the career switch mode to either going on their own or they're in the first one to three years of their business Mm -hmm. um and i think that Either they've already been through that phase or they're starting to, they recognize that they want to be on their own. So they start listening to shows like this or looking for guidance and advice. And I, yeah, it's, it can be really damaging professionally to kind of hit and run another designer and take everything they can offer you. And, you know, you're getting this like inside intimate glimpse into their business and the way they work. And yeah, yeah I mean, especially it, like documentation, like I love Jacob, you've been really generous with the Facebook groups. I think we're all in with your, um, some of your documents, like your good, better, best. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, we're going to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, we're talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, I agree that, that document, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll, it's okay. Yeah. Just that like, I don't know. I think we have these really great um, collaborative opportunities with Facebook groups and there's just a lot of like sharing of resources, which I love. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do here. But some things you got to like work out on your own, like your proposal, your contract, like people don't share that stuff really. So I don't know to have somebody come in and kind of swipe from you is... Yeah, I mean, and I've never had anyone do that to me at all. I, I just know that it happens in the industry. I've had some friends who felt like they, um, you know, basically that happened to them where a designer came in, worked for a little while, left, had all the, you know, the secrets of their business. Um, that's never happened to me. I've had a really good experience with the people that I've worked with. Everyone I've worked with has been top notch. But yeah, like there is certain things like with the proposals. And I think there's so many resources like Claire Jeffords who mm-hmm. has their little online shop where you can download letter of agreements and things um, for a small cost. That's a good way for new designers to get set up. Cause I, in fact, I purchased Claire Jeffords letter of agreement because I had this eight page document from a lawyer that was great and I still use, but it wasn't the initial thing that I wanted to hand to a client because I did hand it to a few people and they were like, oh my God, this is like, 
signing up to get a house. Like there's, right. this is so in depth and all this stuff. And so I just wanted something that was very concise and easy to hand to a client that was one to two pages. And so I bought a pair of Jeffords. I, I've definitely tweaked it and modified it to fit my business, but I feel like those resources are so good for new designers and I'm glad that they're out there because if they don't feel like they have the skills or know what to put into a letter of agreement or a proposal, purchase one, purchase one. Right. Get a starting plan. Yeah. I didn't purchase a proposal document. I created my own. Um, Canva is a really good tool for that, you know, building up those documents because you can add in pictures and the nice lettering and it looks a little bit more professional than if you just have a word document that you've turned into a PDF, I feel. Um, yes. But we're big, on, like, branding. We're yeah, really big branding, on branding. Yeah, right? Adding in your logo, putting in the pictures. You know, I don't think it needs to be a 20 page document fee proposal, but having a three or four page with a couple of pretty pictures, a picture of yourself, something quick about your business, explaining the scope of work really well. I think that it really sets the tone and expectation for the level of documentation and professionalism that you're going to have with the clients. Yeah. We talked last week, we talked about, we're selling an experience. So this is like the invitation to the ball. Like it needs to look like the experience they're about to have and have some expectation and excitement building. And that's what I think that should do. If it looks janky, it's not speaking well for what, (laughs) for what's to come. Like it's, you want to look like you've got, you got your stuff together. Because if you don't have your shit together, they're not going to hire you. Right. No. Especially if they do interview someone else and, and their website is so much more put together and their email yeah. communications are so much better. Then you then they're like, ah, I don't know if this person's really at the level I need them to be at to do this type of project. And I mean, I, I know from experience because I did have a kind of janky proposal that wasn't really very well thought out and I wasn't getting the conversions of leads to actual clients that I wanted. And that's when I started focusing on branding and, you know, doing what I could to make it look a little bit more professional. And once I did that, I noticed a big difference in how I was perceived as a designer. Because you can have all the talent in the world and be, you know, super creative. But if you don't look that way, people aren't going to hire you. Especially, yeah, if you're selling a luxury, like, experience, it needs to be in line. Yeah, the more a client pays, the the better all of your documentation and branding has to be. Yep, I agree. And I, I don't, do you think that's a, I don't want to use the term generational because I am not, I'm not young by age, <laughs> but um, in my heart and my, I don't know, the way that I run my business, but I don't know, I see a lot of documentation sometimes in I don't know, the past generations that it is like, I don't know if marketing and the visual and the graphics were as big of a deal as they are to us now. Do you see that? I've, I don't know. I've, I've talked to a couple of designers. So I think that the designers who have been around who are very established, there are some that are kind of in that more old school mentality. Like I did meet a designer kind of early on in my career. and She kind of walked me through, she was an angel. She was amazing walk me through kind of like what her process was for billing and how much she was marking up her products and how she structured her businesses and things. She was in a very old school mentality. The way, the way that she marks up was, is not the way that I do now. Although mm-hmm. I was very grateful for that experience. I felt she steered me down a wrong 
path, hmm. but training was not important to her. Her, her, you know, her proposal was like, here's a one page document with like her name on it, the address, the client, and just how many hours she thought it was. Versus yeah. our, and I think that probably yours and I's, it has my logo, it's a little bit more in depth, it looks a little bit prettier when you submit it to a client. Yeah. Um, and the verbiage, the way we explain things is a more a story. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's got imagery and things built into it, and it's also yeah. the it's a, it might be the technical like know how. But you could still write that down even if you only did it in word and make it look good. Like yeah. it could still sound. It's not gonna be great, like Canva Rebecca here as her option. graphic background will <laughs> I, obviously. My, I was There's a, a time and a place designer. for a word document, and for her, it's like a letter to the post office, like not. <laughs> yeah, we don't like you don't feel like. No, I brochures and words totally, and I, I we work up differently, but. Remember, not every designer who's listening is ready use to jump PowerPoint. Into that, use PowerPoint. Use PowerPoint. It's fine. Yeah, anyway. create yeah, something use, visual and engaging. Yeah, I use PowerPoint for all of my presentations. I build my mood boards or concept boards in Photoshop and then mm -hmm. import them in. Yeah. So I feel like Photoshop is a better tool. But as far yeah. as like putting a deck together to present, um, I always use PowerPoint. I feel like PowerPoint is one of the best tools that you can use as a new designer. I know a lot of people like design files. I've never work with them ever so i have nothing about that but i hear a lot about design files yeah i, I haven't know. used them either. they have like that rendering thing built into it right see i feel like i use cheap architect which is the e was the easiest kind of cad like program and rendering program built in right um, it was super easy to learn it's pretty fast powerful tool has lots of cad capabilities so like if an architect has their cad drawings i just have them send me a dwt or mm -hmm. DXF file, import it straight into Chief Architect, manipulate, add what I need to, and then I can just send it back. So awesome. that was really beneficial for me once because I do a lot of construction. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Getting those documents from the architects right away and super easy to use and not having CAD. Yeah, I don't yeah. use CAD. Or having to do like bulky markups on PDFs or things like that is just like yes. even, it's, that extra level of annoyance that creates inefficiency in the business. So More mistakes, like, yeah. 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 Not everything. That's a, that's like a good, um, previously we sort of talked about some of the expenses that we incur as designers where that's behind the scenes stuff and, you know, having the right systems and software to help you be efficient and kind of compete with the rest of our industry or industry partners, or at least, you know, meet them at the same level is one of the keys. Uh, otherwise you do have to bring in help to help you get there right. like, yeah. to get to that phase faster. And it's okay to say, this isn't my zone of expertise and I don't want to do that. Like, oh, get someone who does. Yeah, because having those elevations, having a really thought out or well-drawn space playing and all that, that's going to keep you competitive and you have to, I think that is just a necessary expense. Right. I mean, I think I pay like a few thousand dollars a year for chief architect, but I think that it's 100% worth the expense and the investment. And I always say like, if you hired somebody, it would not cost you $2,000 a year to hire somebody to do all that work. <laughs> like you'd be paying that um, a month at least. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most Staff. most people that I've hired out, I pay them about 50 to $65 an hour for technical drawings, mm -hmm. but then I, I bill them at 150 or $200 an hour to the client, right? 
so I'm making a profit on um, on those on that person like I would an employee right because um, I usually match them like I bill at $165 an hour so I typically match their hourly rate to mine or if it's just a really detailed then I will bump it up to 200 which is kind of weird to do because they're more than what I'm billing but sometimes I feel like it's necessary but I mean you would expect like a senior architect at a large firm to bill more than you, even if you were involved as the designer on a project, you would like, sometimes there's professions where it's going to be more to have that person involved. And And you're still involved. Like you're still like the middleman of it all. And, and they um, wouldn't have access to those resources without you. Yeah. Whenever I do, like if I'm doing a new construction, I typically do for homes over $4,000 or 4,000 square feet. I typically do um, a price per square foot. So I'll do $3 a square foot for just like selections and specs, no renderings. And then if they want an architectural review where I'm going in, you know, adjust, like changing out floor plans, maybe switching things up a little bit, changing out cabinet elevation, I usually do another dollar square foot for hmm. that. Um, and that's just been a really easy way. I don't know what your market is like in California, in Houston, that's pretty competitive for me. Um, and that's, that's been yeah. enough. I feel like it covers my hours and then yeah. I just build project management on top. LA is all gr- greater LA and Orange County is all over the map. Right. It's just a huge swath. Like if you're, if you're in the beach cities and you're near like the West side of Los Angeles, it's just, it's bonkers. It's just insane. So mm-hmm. it's like, you kind of have to, for a number of designers that I know, like they're willing to tailor based on the project. And I think that's where we both, I think, Re- yeah, Rebecca and I still bill hourly, but I'd like to get enough data built up that I can get to that flat rate perspective where it just makes sense. Like you limit the scope enough to what's flat rate. And then like you're mm-hmm. saying, just add the project management separate. And yeah, your project I- management you're saying is still hourly. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. I do kind of like whenever I sit down, especially for like our furnishing, I do sit down and feel like I go through the scope of work and really think about how many hours I need. And then I turn in just a number, right? Like I still track my hours and if I go over, I bill them, but I just turn in a number because I was giving clients a range before, like hey, it's going to be a hundred hours to 110 hours. And people were really having a hard time or like, you know, understanding what that range was. And then yeah. calculating, and then they, I don't know why, I guess it's just like a mental thing. Seeing the number of hours on a proposal was not as easily received as seeing a price. Here yes. is your price. It is going to be $15,000 for this, and that's what it's going to be. And clients, for whatever reason, just absorb that a little bit easier than saying, okay, here's my hourly rate and times how many hours, and it's going to be $15,000. I don't know. I just simplified it. And once I did that on my proposals, I started getting a lot more, I started getting a lot less questions. Maybe because it seemed less open-ended, like, oh, well, maybe we'll be 200 hours. Exactly. It's just a very final thing. And I put in there, like, here's my revision policy. Anything past this is going to be hourly. And then I list the hours of what I build myself, my technical designer, and then a design assistant. Hmm. at the bottom of the proposal so they know what that would be billed at. Right. I mean, I think that's where you, we, we're, I'm like a big fan of that preemptive strike, like to say, 
you could do all this. We could totally have revisions. We could totally do that. But this is what's involved if we do that. Yeah. And and also like the number I'm giving you is based off of like a normal, whatever normal means in our industry, but the normal interaction. If yeah. you are going to be on Pinterest for months after the presentation and moving the target on me, and you're going to be asking for reselections and you're going to be having fights with your spouse or whatever it is, like all that stuff means more money. So the yes. faster you make a decision, the faster you commit to the vision, all of that keeps you on this budget. Mm-hmm. But, but if you're cool paying more and I have, well, the you're the master and- <laughs> of your budget, but here's how, here's yeah. what you need to do. Hey, Sean, have you signed up for the Hot Young Designers Club newsletter? Oh, no. Really? Is this you not wanting to clutter your inbox with a lot of excess junk? No, no. Let me do it. Where do I need to go? You need to go to hotyoungdesignersclub.com. Scroll down until you get to the subscribe button. Just pop in your email address and your name. All right. I'm doing it right now. Is this going to be a bunch of spam? It's not. It's actually not going to be anything until we actually get around to sending something. But we have big plans and we want to be able to send surveys to get feedback from our audience. And maybe once in a while, a special surprise or a recap. All right. I'm on it. Thank you. Back to the show. Here's what you need to do. And he said that he spent 100 hours selecting flooring for their project. Oh. I was like, what? And he was like, and she just kept paying the bill. And we just kept looking around and kept going shopping and she just kept paying. I'm like, that blows my mind. Because she just kept like not deciding. Some people want like a buddy. They want yeah. like a shopping buddy. They want a and shopping they, buddy. And he just and, kept, he's like, I'm just going to keep submitting my bills every two weeks. Um, and if she them. keeps paying them, I'll keep going. And I was like, that <laughs> is insane to me. That blows So she must be mind. like wealthy and lonely? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was, they did not, it was a large and it was a higher end project and she wanted to be involved and he just said, okay, here's my hourly and he took a retainer and then just worked on the retainer and just kept submitting bills after that. Damn. I kind of want that job actually. I mean, I'll be personal shopper, shopping, a personal yeah. shopper, like be my friend and here's yeah. thousands of dollars every it's week. It's a little it prostitutional, but. <laughs> I hate doing that kind of personal shopping. Like I'm like, I want to submit. Here's your one plan. Like I know I, I've talked about this in the kind of groups too, is where some designers are like, I've been giving them two concepts per room and then they get to oh, pick. Yeah, I'm I like, oh my that. God, that's too much. No. They're overwhelming the client. I give them one option. Here's my vision. Yeah. yeah. If there's something that's over budget, like oh, I love this sofa, but it's more expensive, maybe I'll, I'll have a backup that's in budget and yeah. hopefully we'll go for the one that's over budget, the one that I really love. And they usually do, but I'm, I just feel like giving them two concepts, like they don't want to be, most clients want easy. They want just tell me what to order. Tell me what's good. Show yeah. me the vision. And then tell me what to like. like. I'm yeah. listening to this book right now. That's it's a novel based on an affair with Frank Lloyd Wright. And I love it because she's kind of like on the outside. I'm talking about him as a person and his process. Cause she was a client mm-hmm. and his whole thing was, the client, like he interviews the clients, like he's probably kind of the first person to do this. And basically he teaches them what to like. 
and um, what, like he did every, like he would design their dishes, like, and tell them how to dress. Like he did everything. It was a whole lifestyle experience before that was a thing. But yeah, the whole thing was like to get the client on board to his vision and they would just lap it up. So I think sometimes the client, like if you get the right client, that's what they want. Like they want you to tell them what it needs. How do I achieve this lifestyle vision, way of life, Mm -hmm. philosophy about living my life? Because they're upset at how disorganized they are or how messy things are or whatever. And then it's just like, Creating a full life aesthetic. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's important, like, too, is one of my questions whenever I get into a client, like you said, you're, I inter- like, we try to interview our clients, or I do, to make sure that they're the right fit. And I usually ask, like, how comfortable are you? It's in my lifestyle questionnaire. How comfortable are you being pushed outside of your box, outside of your comfort zone? So smart. Because if you turn me, if you send me an inspiration picture, and you just want me to copy that, yeah, I can do it. And it'll be a beautiful room, but have I really inspired you? Have I really given you something unique? Or have I just copied a design that you like, but it doesn't really, it's not new, it's not fresh. It's not a new idea. And that's, and that's always- They can do it themselves, kind of. They yeah, just exactly. Copy I mean, if, like, if, you, if you want me to shop for you, that's great. But also I just find that those rooms do not inspire me whatsoever. And I have a harder time falling in love with that project. And if I don't love a project, I tend to drag my feet a little bit more. And I kind of like, God, some yes. time calls, I'm like, oh, what if she pinned on Pinterest now? Like, I'm just so over it. <laughs> <laughs> enough, <laughs> enough basic bitch. Like, yeah, we really want, like, don't get me wrong. Shay McGee has carved out a huge empire and is a very talented designer right but i'm like do we need do i need do you really want me to copy the shea mcgee room or do you want me to give you something that's a you know still within your vibe and style but a little bit newer a little bit fresher or just a little bit more curated to your home your taste jacob if i look at your everything you have on your website and on your instagram i don't I am not getting Shay McGee. Right. Like, Why would they so come to you if that's It's what they shocking that's to me I that think. they would be like attracted to what you're putting out there and then showing you Shay McGee. Well, I think a lot of it's true is, and it's, and I talk to clients a lot and it's the same thing with like loving restoration hardware. They only have access to certain things, yeah. right? Look at yes. my portfolio and say, I love that it's clean line and it's livable, but it still looks, you know, a certain amount of, you know, luxury. Right. right. They don't know how to translate that into an inspiration picture. They don't know how to bridge that gap. And that's our job, right? That's our job to say, okay, look, you turned in this picture and here's how I can get you from this picture to what you really want, right? Here's how I can push you out of your comfort zone to get you the design that's right for you. And I yeah. did have a client who recently turned in a couple, it was like an Ember Interiors and a Shea McGee and then a couple other things that were very, very different. And it was like, okay, I see where you're coming from now. Let me get you into a better place. Um, and part of that is like, I have a design questionnaire that I tweak to every client. And if they turn in a couple inspiration pictures, I typically give them a few more images to give me feedback on. And that's part mm-hmm. of my leading them into the direction that I think is right in understanding their vocabulary of what is modern and what is coastal and what is or whatever they want to call it because they can say one thing and then i can say another and they're complete opposite ends of yeah the word modern is like 
so could be anything it's like very yeah. subjective yeah i agree and so having that lifestyle you know aesthetic questionnaire builds that vocabulary so when they say something to me i understand what they really mean or i say here's what i think of this when you tell me it um so that's been really good so i usually give them a couple and i usually say you're going to see images in this questionnaire that you're going to like and something you're not going to like that's the point the point is to kind of figure out where you really fall in the design you know vocabulary and styles so your questionnaire has images mm -hmm. so it usually has like basic things how many people live in the home do you have children do you have pets are you planning on having a pet are you planning on having children um, which is more important aesthetics over um, comfortability it has pictures of patterns it has pictures of like some other things and i usually say what colors you like what colors don't you like then I'll incorporate a few images for them that are like, I use Google Forms. Then mm -hmm. I'll inco incorporate Sorry. like maybe three or four kind of paragraph, you know, questions on there. And it's an image and it says, tell me what you like and what you don't like about this room. It can be, I like this sofa, but not the fabric. I like the overall vibe of this room. And I give them a couple examples and that empowers them to kind of give me the feedback that I need. And I spend about 30 minutes going through and reviewing that. And I kind of give my opinion of, okay, I selected this image for this reason. And like, I recently had a client just say, I hate this room on the questionnaire. That was it. That was her full stop. That was oh, it. No other okay. And I went back and I said, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about your response and why you were so, you know, hateful of this room. And, I and unhelpful. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, here's why I picked it. I like these things. I like the mix. I love the details of the sofa. Maybe it's a little dark for your, you know, desired palette, but this, this, and this. And she goes, you know what? I really like this table. I actually do really like that sofa. The details are very nice. I just didn't oh even gosh. think about that. And I said, perfect. Now I'm getting from you what I want. Now we're seeing eye to eye on, on this style that I'm kind of trying to achieve. And just having that little conversation was super helpful. And I was already starting to convince her of, here's the direction we need to be going and here's why I'm gonna be selecting these things um, in the process. I really, I've been really wanting to do that. And um, I've been getting stuck because of the one size fits all is how I was kind of approaching it, like a one size fits all kind of questionnaire. So I like what you're saying is you customize those photos so you're extracting the information you need for that project and i have a basic template that i use and then i just add in those couple of images mm -hmm. and maybe i'll put like two chairs side by side you know that are similar but different and just say which one do you like better just trying to give them little things so they feel like it's fun right mm -hmm. it's not homework you want it to be it's like a style quiz kind of what's your yeah. personality yeah it's just a style quiz that's all it is but i just have a template and that's how I've used it that's been helpful. But it's specific to ideas you've got ruminating in your house or in your yeah. head about what their home might look like. Okay. Yeah, I like exactly. That. I'll tweak it to really every client. Nice. I have the template set so all I have to do is yeah. copy that template, tweak it, and then email it to them to look through. Because you're only like resourcing a few, a handful of new photos specific for them? Exactly. I'm yeah. not redoing the whole template. It's only about maybe 20 or 30 minutes of looking for images, popping them in, sending it to the client. Which Super could fast. save you tons of time on the back end. Oh my God, yeah. It does. And I created it after a client sent me inspiration images and I didn't have this kind of style quiz. 
and I based it on the inspiration images and then I presented something that was very in that style and she hated everything and I was like oh my god what is going on like this has never happened to me and her the language she was and using that's just when didn't I, match that's when I decided that exactly the language did not match and she even said I feel like I gave you the wrong information because this is very much <laughs> similar to what we to what it looks like and so she ended up paying for a full revision yeah. um, which was <laughs> Yeah, she did. She understood the you know what happened, um, and so we went back to the revision process, and that's when I created the style quiz and gave it to her, and that was just a really good learning experience for me, I guess, and for her. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> yeah. we're only as successful as designers with the input we're getting from our clients and the feedback they give us. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to reinforce with clients up front that accountability to. I'm, I'm actually going to use this, like what you fill yeah. in here, what you give to me, what you tell me about this, it's, it's going to be used as part of the planning process. But so. we also have to help give them language. Like I've just gotten these lessons a few times recently of we, like we were saying with like using the same terminology, people do, and people don't have the language to describe things yeah. the way we're used to. I mean, I've been We're describing visuals for 25 it. years. Like I have tons of words in my yeah, vocabulary yeah. for things. When like, when, when I might describe something as, oh, it's just visually too they heavy. Pinterest. Oh my right. God, yes. And what, and the, their favorite property brother. <laughs> like. Which one's which? Yes. Can How- we? get out of my head no i want to make sure we go back to the good better best idea oh yeah so that actually so everything that i've created is just stemmed from a complication in my business and so for me right so whenever i started this we i came from a very lower to middle class family so we like bought our sofas at like sears i don't know if you guys have that there or you know Like, you know, it wasn't like we were going and getting a designer name or higher and so forth. We were getting our, you know, Sears at the Labor Day sale or whatever. And my mom, God bless her, has the worst taste in the entire world when it comes to decorating. (laughs) And I think that's why I love decorating. It's because I hated the homes that we grew up in. Um, There was a void. (laughs) There was a void you needed to fill in your home. Yes. It was terrible. We had these ugly blue leather sofas that were just so bad. Um, Anyway, so yes. And so I didn't understand the cost of things, right? So when I first started out, you know, $2,500 sofa was expensive to me, right? And so Mm -hmm. I really spent some time educating myself on what was quality of the vendors, what vendors should I be selecting, and what the actual costs of things were, because I just wasn't as involved in that world before, right? So I think it's important to understand that a newbie understands those things um, and and providing the client the level of product that they really want. Like I know someone in a, in a, one of the Facebook groups said, well, a $6,000 sofa is just absurd that's just a rip off for the client. And I was like, I don't think that'd be true at all. That's, no. I was like, and you should not be saying that. I was like, by the quality, by the craftsmanship, by the fabric, by this, that's a reasonably priced sofa for most people. And it's not ripping off the client. That's your markup. That's the 
the quality that they're wanting. And so I create the good, better, best sheet to provide to clients during our first meeting so we could have those conversations um, about what level of quality they were getting for the price and why those things cost what they did. Totally. Um, it's been super helpful. And whenever I take on a project, client says, well, how much am I going to spend on this room? I don't know that. Well, why not? I say most of my clients spend thirty to $50,000 on a living room. Well, that's a big number. That's a big jump. Okay, well, I don't have your space planning. I don't know how many sofas mm -hmm. to chairs to the size of the coffee table to the rug that we're going to need yet. Right. And so I give them a range. And then once I do their, their space planning, I give them like a, an allocation sheet and that's when I give them a better target number. So, and I use the good, better, best and say, okay, well, here's the quality sofas that we're looking at. Here's the side tables and they can kind of guide me on what's important to them or what I think that they're going to be at. And I take those numbers from the good, better, best Excel sheet and plug that into an Excel sheet that's specific to the client and their layout to tell them what their project will cost, you know, as, as more from of a budget narrow standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I go from, okay, it's going to be 30 to $50,000 to it's going to cost us about $45,000 for this room and layout and quality that you're asking for. Um, and that's just been super helpful to me. And that is done after they're signed as a client, but before yes. you start your creative process. So I have a couple of steps. So I do their, the life, some people say, some designers say that I'm giving the client too much control. I don't know. It works for me. So they have their lifestyle quiz that I give them. We review that. I send them the mood, right? So I send them, let me start over. I'm feeling, I'm drawing a blank. I've had too much coffee. Um, they have their lifestyle and aesthetic quiz, right? And then usually I go in and do my measurements. And so we have two meetings. The, the next meeting is going to be for concepts. So I've already measured, right? I've met with the trade so we can get their prices for like wallpapers or moving electrical, switching on pendants, things like that. And so I give them their 2D floor plan with their budget allocation sheet and then like a generalized mood concept board for the project. And they have to approve that before I start selecting because I don't want to be selecting a $6,000 sofa and, and you know, whatever. And then them come and say, well, this is really more expensive than I thought that the sofa would cost and then have to go back and reselect. Right. Right. Or they say, well, you selected, you know, two sofas and chairs. Well, I didn't really want chairs. I, you know, I wanted this. And I try to advise them on what's best for the room. But some clients just have their own opinions and we have to kind of tailor our process to that. Totally. So they know a better idea of what it's going to cost, the layout and the, the direction I'm going before I finalize those selections. So that way there's not a ton of reselecting and redesigning afterwards. And that just like works that. for me. That is so my- So you're giving them the good, better, best, then you present them with floor plan, schematic, just a general mood board and the budget to approve. Mm -hmm. Yep. Without any specific selection. Without any specific, right. just kind of generalize. And I've had someone say, you know, hey, I want to spend, like I select, and one time I said, okay, well, here's how much I'm going to spend on your rug. And here's how much I spent on this. And he said, well, the rugs are really important to me. Mm -hmm. So you can double that. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah. And because, and, 
because I never I heard something that's no, going to be more heard. of an investment. And I said, cool. And he gave me a couple areas. He said, um, you know, I don't really care about this piece. He's like, so this chair, you know, I, it, can, it doesn't have to be the best quality, but I want it to look nice. I said, okay, yeah. we can lower the cost for that. He's like, but the lighting and rug, let's double those because I really want something, you know, yeah, that, that's it. good. Because his dad had like rugs that were $250,000 that were just, God. so he came from a home who, he was like, I don't want my dad to walk in and judge me on my rug. <laughs> but, but that's like, those are heirloom quality pieces right there. Yeah. And so you're used to having a certain quality in your home. And he well, yeah. obviously wasn't in so that zone, but yeah. didn't want to be embarrassed by it. So something from like Laloy or Jaipur or something like was not going to fit his needs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It could have been beautiful. It could have been perfect, but that was not going to fit something that was going to excite him. So I ended up finding a Turkish dealer who had hand knotted wool vintage rugs and he loved that idea. And we spent a little bit more on it versus going to one of the bigger dealers. Um, yeah. So that in that instance, it's like, that's really been, you know, the good, better best has really saved me. I, the client I'm working with right now, she said, well, I want to spend $50,000 on these rooms. And I said, it's not going to happen. Here's why. And I went through and I said, here's your, List. your bell sheet that has your list of things yeah with the quality that you want because she's very big on quality i said you're not going to get you either keep your budget and you get less rooms or you increase your budget and you get more yeah i can't do anything else and that's we go that. minimalist <laughs> well i don't do that like i don't do minimalist well i'm not like a maximalist but i don't do half finished rooms and i tell them right. i'm not going to sacrifice half of a room to get your budget to design your whole house for the for an unrealistic number, right? You need to and a room, right? That's our goal, and then we can do more rooms later, or you can increase your budget. Hmm. So those conversations Smart. have been super helpful, yeah, to me because and those and those the extra step, the good, better, best, it saved my ass. You never would have assumed I'm going to put 40% of this one room's budget in the rug and the light like that wouldn't have been some, a place. It's not my go-to start. starter for a no. project. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, his was, he increased his overall budget. Oh, so it well, wasn't like I had to pull from other things. He just increased his overall budget to get the quality that he wanted in those items. So I having that just don't know. Yeah. Having that conversation with him, like totally just made the design process so much easier. Yeah, we can't let our money stories or our backgrounds yeah. or things like that pressure the client's story. Like that's, their money story is different. Their background on what they view as expensive is different. What they view yes. as worth spending on is different. I mean, yeah, but your example- Education on quality, like if- yeah. yeah. Be educated on the quality and where and I like, I'm like, well, how long do you want this sofa to last? So you have five to ten, you have ten to twenty, and you have thirty plus. And if they want an heirloom piece, then there's a cost for that. Hmm. And they're usually if they want that, they're usually okay with it. That's smart. Yeah. Um so do you have any thought? I know you've talked a lot about getting published. Do you have any tips for us and our listeners? Yeah, so I did not focus on publishing. Um, with me being a new designer, I had a lot of insecurities about 
what my work looked like compared to other designers. Mm -hmm. And so I was very afraid to try and get things published. Like I never sent anything out and I found in the past year or so, just send your work. Like I think that mm -hmm. the biggest thing is like hustling and putting together a, so what I do is I put together like a little media kit. Go mm -hmm. to Canva or go to Word, put the pictures in, before and after, write a little story about, you know, I'll write a little story about my, who I am, a little story about the project, and then I'll email it out to whoever I can find. Like the first person I got published in was the Houston Chronicle, which is the biggest newspaper in Houston. Mm -hmm. um, I asked around and got the editor's email address. Smart. Sent a media kit with a single image. It was a quick, hey, you know, hey, Diane, can you, I would love, you know, if you could take a look at this project. I think it's a good fit for you. Um, everything, all the details are in the media kit and I included one image in the email. So if she didn't open the media kit, at least, at least she got to look at this one image of the work. Mm -hmm. um, and doing that has actually been really helpful because then everything's included. It's quick and easy to read. You know, they don't have to spend a lot of time figuring out if it's a good fit or not. Right. And, and that's my go-to now. So like I just sent in a project to HGTV. They declined it. They said, well, we're maxed out on this style of kitchen, but we really think it's beautiful. Please keep us in mind for any of our future projects. Mm. Perfect, right? That's now nice. I have a contact at HGTV. They've turned me down, but they've already said, hey, in the future. So what I did was I quickly sent them a snapshot of a project I was finishing, but didn't have professional images. And I said, I'm about to be done with this project. I think it would be more in the style that you're looking for. Let me know what you think and I'll send you the final images once it's done. She said, yes, beautiful. Please send me those when you have the professional photographs. Cool. So awesome. now I have an editor at HGTV who's already thinking about a future project. And I don't know if I'm gonna get it or not, but at least I'm like trying to like put the feelers out early. Right, because as for, they're planning their editorial, she might be keeping that in mind. And yeah, is that for the print version or for online magazine? edition? Um, that was going to be for online. Yeah, I, was gonna I feel be like online. everybody's moving online. Yeah, but I mean, we have Lux Interiors, modern, um, modern luxury interiors. I started sending those editors things as soon as I get a project, even if it's not, even they say no, I try and send them every project because totally. you don't know what they're going to need. They don't know if they're doing, you know, you don't know what their the editorial map looks like. And they may right. find one image that works for something they need. Totally. Yeah, you could have so, the one green bedroom and they're doing a feature on green and they need an extra room for that feature. And even if exactly. they don't put the whole project, they take the one the one shot they need yeah. is worth it. So that's my kind of thing now. And I recently talked to an editor for a magazine. I was trying to pitch some prints. And we were talking, she said, you're doing a great job. She asked if I had a PR team. And I was like, nope, just me trying to do my thing. She said, you're doing a lot more than most designers. Most designers just kind of put their feet up and wait for the magazines to come to them. And she was like, you, that's never going to happen. We're busy. Right. She's like, you have to. They're not going to notice you. They're not, exactly. And even if they, you know, it's like follow them on Instagram. Slide in those DMs if you can. <laughs> you know, it's oh, like. You're not going to. Yeah, <laughs> that is my jam comments. right there. <laughs> Sir Because if they know your name, if they know who you are and yeah. you send them a picture, they're more likely to print your stuff versus someone that they've never even heard of. Right. right. And they know you're tenacious. Like we yeah. can't be afraid of rejection as designers. We it's 
it's we're not for everyone and that's okay if one magazine doesn't like it because the client's still going to see that project that got declined for a feature and still love it well jacob do you think that you're um now it's kind of like become a consistent um job that you do with it do you think that's kind of helped toughen up your rejection skin like yes because i just don't care if they tell me no anymore i don't you're gonna do it anyway yeah yeah because for me, it's like I withheld sending things for so long. And then once I started submitting, it's like I was actually getting, like I just realized every project that I've had photographed has been featured in some way. Hmm. And that's only from me submitting stuff constantly, whether it's in the Houston Chronicle or an online, like I've never actually made it to a magazine print. That's my next goal. But at least yeah. getting these smaller online things, it boosts SEO for your website. It builds brand recognition. So that's that's been a huge thing for me. And getting the projects when I do get published, it is like a boost. It's like, okay, cool. People do like this. What I'm doing is being seen and people are appreciating my style. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely, um, like we've talked about this before, like our like local publications, like Sacramento Magazine is the big one here. And I've gotten published a few times and I've gotten clients. Like even just like one time we had a little write up on the podcast randomly. And I think I got two clients from that. Yeah, honestly. They they wouldn't have known that you were a designer in Sacramento, even though that little feature wasn't about the design work it was about the, the pod they would have had no idea oh she's in my area like or one was like a write-up about designers home offices like in the april issue and just like a dumb picture of the corner of my office, <laughs> like converted <laughs> dining room but and you never know what's gonna hit yeah, and the clients really do like it because when i get published i have clients who are like I saw you in the paper on Sunday. Like that room looks really good. Yeah. And, and they feel like, oh, well, I have a designer who's yeah. kind of popular. Like they do see value in that. And it's I've, a feather again, in I've their had cap. projects from those features. Yeah. Because the clients that we're looking for typically in the price points and the level of income, a lot of them do subscribe to papers and online, you know, publications. Right. We might not, but they do. <laughs> right. And they're, they don't mind flipping through and then they go, oh, wait, this this guy's like here in my, he's in Houston. Like, I should, let me look in that and find out what's going on with him. And, and I will say, oh. is hiring a good interior photographer, right? And I know you yes. guys can probably account to this. Like a lot totally. of having someone who does portraits or real estate is not the same in my oh my God, the same. never if someone who does interior photographer interior photography professionally and i'm like a huge advocate i don't know if you guys have ever worked with one but having like a prop stylist on oh, no. photo shoot if you i like if if you're trying to submit something for publishing hire a prop stylist because okay. it makes a huge difference because they're going to look at all the details of the wrinkle of the linens and the perfect placement of the flowers and the food and and stuff and it's like a lot of times whenever i work my prop stylist she's very close she works closely with the photographer so the photographer takes a shot talks to the prop stylist to make sure that everything is in line before i even approve it so if I need to be doing something else for my business, um, mm-hmm. I can't. 
because my my mental energy does not need to be in well is that bread perfect and is the you know champagne looking the artichokes right? stacked correctly yeah, <laughs> like the crumbs. That, that's their job right yeah. and these and the stylists are often published in these bigger pranks and they get edit, you know front page covers of better homes and gardens so they know what they're doing i work with curious details in houston and she is amazing at what she does. She has a skill that I do not have. Um, and having her on the team, I can't always afford her. But whenever I do, my images just look better. There's an elevation yeah. to having them on the team. And then when your images look that perfect and you submit them for publication, people are more likely to want to snag them up and print them or put them online because you have images that look just nicer. Yeah, they're yeah, already ready for publish at that yeah. point. Well, in designing a room for use versus photography and publication is totally different eye. Oh my God, and that's one thing like I, I talked to my friend, she, had, she was using a photographer for the first time and she was working with a newer photographer because the more experienced one was out of her price range. And I said, look, just that like photographing a room and the way it lives in real life is not the same if you have to move the chairs and the coffee table and things around to make sure that it lines up for the shot that you need do that and then put mm -hmm. it back yeah right get the shot the way you need them to be perfect and then move the furniture back to where it was right yeah and that was like a huge realization for me because I didn't know. And luckily the first time I hired an interior photographer, she was very experienced and she was like, yeah, Oh, let's know. move this chair. And Oh, this table's not right. And she was scooting this around and I was like, Oh, can we do that? <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> like, have to look like reality. Like, yeah, I was like, that's you're not all, lying. That's you're just it. composing the best image. Yeah. It's not it's, a lie. Yeah. The, all that stuff is still there. Oh, but like there was one time that I was shooting over a bed and I had this really adorable chair in a corner um, and we couldn't see the chair very well over the bed. So we got a bunch of books and stacked the chair mm -hmm. up on the books. So that way yeah. it would look right in the shots. Yep. And, and those little tweaks, like that makes a big difference. And it, and it makes the composure of the shot look right. So I'm totally on board with little tweaks, stacking things up. Sometimes nightstands don't, look right stack those yeah. up on books if you have to move things around um it's it's just getting that perfect composition and you need a good photographer to tell you when that's working and when it's not too and yeah. that's why we you know we've previously in another episode we talked about photography but it really is about getting the photographer who's worked with enough designers who's maybe worked with stylists um and that they find those things and they tell you as the designer. So if you can't afford the stylist, look for the photographers that have been used to working with the caliber of designers and, and that, and they're paying attention to those skills mm -hmm. because a really good one is going to tell you, Hey, yeah, and then let's you move start these things. Learning. Let's do this. You start learning what without a, you know, no tripod, just free camera shooting. Ah. Not gonna yeah, work, honey. Like those pictures are not gonna come out. <laughs> nope. It's a no from me. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to ask Jacob the five burning questions before he has to. Oh yeah, to what were those five burning questions? These are our like quick fire style. So just like quickly tap into your brain, um, 
and just get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Okay. So in one sentence, how has your business changed as a result of COVID? Zoom meetings, closing my office, and mm. just wearing a mask. <laughs> God, mask life. All the time. Mask yeah, mask life and Zoom life. There you go. That's that's um, COVID in a nutshell. And lots of hand sanitizing. Very much. Yep. Yeah. Sorry about your office. I know. Oh my God. Well, I mean, I'm still paying for it. So it's just sitting there sad and unoccupied. Oh, that's even worse. That's worse, <laughs> Jacob. Um, okay. Second question. What have you done for professional development recently that you would recommend to our listeners, whether it's a book, a podcast, a seminar? So I'm doing a lot of research in um, online marketing, Google ads, things like that. So I'm educating myself on what I can be doing in my downtime that's going to get my business out there um, versus always having to hire someone for SEO. That has been huge for me and just understanding what I can do to bring in the business. What are you, where are you finding that information? Um, I will look it up. I don't remember the websites offhand. Oh, can, can you send us up. and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, you know how I found them? TikTok. Oh my God. There was, someone, there was someone saying, here's what you can do to learn these things. Were they going like? Yes. I'm doing that little point. But honestly, I went through and I was like, cool, here's what I can learn a little bit more. It's a free resource. And if I can put out a couple of Google ads and pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks for the Google ad. Um, and it brings in a business. It works. It works. Or even just write your blog posts more efficiently. Yes. Blogging. I've been writing. I just wrote like 10 blogs in the past. Whoa. I haven't, I'm not releasing them yet. Right. Um, but I've been writing a lot of blogs and I'm going to start releasing in a couple of weeks. That way I have just things to to help hit those SEO words. Yeah. Build up the content. Smart. Because I went to my Google analytics last week and I only got a thousand hits on my website. Um, over the past month, which is not as many as I've got before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that tells me that I need to start increasing my blogging, getting those SEO words into the website a little bit more. So Google knows who I am and um, just getting more traction. Another tip that I learned was upload an image to Google once a week and write a little caption about that image um, it, it can be a repeated image. It doesn't matter. Just keep uploading once a week. So where, keeps... where do you put it? So Google my business. So if you like, I oh. have Google my business, the hub, right? And you can manage your gallery in Google my business and you can do posts and things just like you would on Facebook. And I upload images there once a week. Now I just started doing it over the past two months, month. And mm-hmm. that's been, I'm hoping that's going to be beneficial. That's what they say. It just keeps Smart. you fresh in the Google and whoever that is. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, Google My Business is a great tool um, that gives you your analytics for who's tracking you and what they're searching and things like that. Right. That's yeah, I love tip. that tip. That's a good one. Okay, so third question. What's one design element you have been drawn to lately? Material, object, be finish, anything. Oh God. Um, so we're gonna. I'm actually gonna talk about a fabric. So Zach and Fox. Are you guys familiar with Zach mm, and Fox? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so obsessed 
with their fabrics mm -hmm. so much. Um, just the richness of them, like the subtle patterns, just the luxe feel of them is just amazing. Uh, I met with yes. a fabric rep not too long ago, and it's not Zach and Fox, it's another line. I will have to look it up and I'll get back to you. But it's okay. these woven leathers. So mm. yummy. And it is like, I don't even know how to describe it. I will find it and I will email it to you guys so you can post that line. But they came yes. like, even in a woven leather, they came like a pattern, like a plaid. And they were just so supple and soft. And I was like, you could do these on all kinds of things. And it would just completely look amazing. Oh they God, were at a higher price point. I want to say they were like 300 or 350 a yard. Um, but I was like, I feel like if you found the right client who would appreciate that style and just elevation of product that I would 100%. Yeah, because oh if it's visual and like tactile. Mm. Oh. And no one else, like it's a little higher end, so it's not everywhere. I'm here for that. Mm -hmm. um, Jacob, if you could live in the set of any TV show or movie, what would it be? Oh, um, Ratchet right now is just so... Glamour. And it's okay, not exactly my style, but like the sets are just like killer. I was like, yeah. they did such a good job. Is it Ryan Murphy? Yeah, it's Ryan yeah. Murphy. I mean, always. He always I, hooks you with the visuals. Mm -hmm. I recently rewatched Coven, which is of his too. Yes. And that one was like that just chic, French, casual, effortless style. And I was like, oh, I love this. I don't know. He, he does such a good job with his sets. Last one, Rebecca. Okay. So what is one non-living object, so not your kitty, that you would save from your home in a fire? My laptop. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I would take my two, um, my, I, would, I would absolutely need my laptop for business, but I have these two vintage 1970s chairs mm. in my home that are like my pride and joy. Um, I would strap those bad boys to my back and <laughs> lug them down. <laughs> Run downstairs. Run down the stairs because I was like, these could not die. Probably everything else in my apartment, I will let go. Um, but those two chairs are just like, they're like my little babies. So you've strapped on the two chairs and your laptop and <laughs> your... Um, yeah. I have a kitty backpack. So kitty's going in the backpack. Somehow I managed to get these chairs on the laptop and all of that's going with me and I think I'd be fine. Awesome. That sounds like a reasonable go bag. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Jacob, can you share with our listeners how they can find you? Yes. Uh, so web, so social is all going to be Jacob Medina Interior Design. Sorry, it's all really long, but that was the handle that was available. Um, so all the socials <laughs> are the same. Um, and then my website is jacob-medina.com, which I'm about to update my website for the second time in a year. It'll be live next week. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so for that. Yeah, having a major website update. So yeah, the, the domain is not changing, but if you see my website now to what's gonna happen, hopefully it just feels a little bit more fresh. Awesome. Fun, yeah. cool. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really yeah, appreciate having you here and sharing your insider perspective with us. Yeah, yeah thank you for getting Thanks for getting so like pragmatic and practical. We like getting into the nitty gritty of all the tech stuff. 
that's what we're here for. Thank you so much. Yeah, and of course. Uh, we have plenty of time. If if there's more, you'll have to come back. That's just what yeah. it that's all it we'll is. We'll do a part two. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. Have fun at your happy hour. Thanks. Have a good one. See Bye. ya. Bye. Until next time. Stay hot, designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. Oh, no. Oh, I think we can do more. I think you don't need to do that. Like, you wouldn't like that. Like, Well, yeah, they want, like, Frank to come in and start telling him <laughs> what's good and what's not. Oh, my God. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, you're going to love it. Okay, mush, mush, bye.